Welcome all to this very special lecture in the Contemporary Politics of Northeast Asia lecture series. Uh, I'm Dr. Ben Habib, uh, lecturer in international relations here at La Trobe and coordinator of the Contemporary Northeast Asia subject. Today's event is a dual presentation between La Trobe University's Department of Politics and Philosophy and La Trobe Asia. And today's event is being recorded and will be podcasted on the La Trobe Asia website. Uh, in addition to finding its way onto your LMS page. It's my pleasure today to introduce the Republic of Korea's Consul General to Victoria, Mr. Joe Hongjun, who'll talk to us today about inter-Korean politics from the South Korean perspective. Consul General Joe has over 25 years experience in the South Korean Ministry of Foreign Affairs. He joins us in Melbourne this year after numerous overseas postings, including roles in the United States, Finland, and the United Arab Emirates. In addition to postings uh, at ministry headquarters in Seoul. However, the Consul General is no stranger to Melbourne, having studied in a master's program at Monash University in the mid-1990s. Our session today goes for 90 minutes, so the Consul General is going to speak for about 50 to 60 minutes to start with, and then we'll have half an hour of Q&A at the end where you can uh, uh, pose some questions to him. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, given how great you are in my classes, that you'll have some great questions to ask. So please join me in extending a very warm welcome uh, to Mr. Joe Hongju. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure to be here with you all and give a presentation. And I wish to thank Professor Nick Beasley and Dr. Ben Habib for giving me uh, this valuable opportunity to introduce a story about two Koreas. Because I'm a foreigner and who learned English when I was old enough, so my pronunciation cannot be heard for a year, so please excuse me. And if you cannot understand me, please ask me to pronounce again, okay? Um, today, I would like to talk about inter-Korean uh, relations by briefly looking into the historic background of national division and the North Korean regime. I would, I, I would also like to share some concerns of South Korea with regard to North Korea and how it envisions our future relationship with the North. In addition, I would like to touch on some issues of the unification of the Korean Peninsula and South Korea's recent security policies on the Northeast Asia as well. So what do you think? <laughs> Do you believe in South Korea or North Korea? <laughs> they are talking totally different story. So this is the relationship between South and North. They say this is a catch and mouse game. <laughs> Very difficult to settle down. So um, to understand this, uh, it is perhaps best to start with a brief historical background. So what was Korea like in the past? What challenges did Korea have to overcome? During the pre-modern era, Korea was like an island at the tip of the Asian continent, 
I say this because unlike present day, Northeast Asia was a relatively isolated region that did not have a strong maritime power. Since mid-19th century, however, Western imperialism reached the shores of the Asian Far East and the fate of the Korean Peninsula was soon to be dependent upon the geopolitical rivalry between continental and maritime powers. From 1910 to 1945, the Korean Peninsula fell under Japanese colonial rule. Coming out from this period, Koreans were finally liberalized from Japan in 1945, but soon they were divided in two by the United States and the former Soviet Union. As victors of Pacific War, the United States and the Soviet Union entered East Asia by establishing separate spheres of influence. The Korean Peninsula was no exception to this development, and Korea had to be separated between the South and the North. In 1948, Republic of Korea and North Korea each established their own government, creating the current confrontational relationship as they both claim legitimacy over the peninsula up to this date. This was a classroom in Korea during the colonial period. As you can see, Koreans had to study under a Japanese flag. You know which one is Japanese flag? <laughs> Soon after the joy of liberalization, the Korean Peninsula was divided after a long and atrocious war. Ever since the end of the Second World War, and in particular after the tragic and devastating war on the peninsula from 1950 to 1953, Korean nation's division into two parts have been consolidated. Since the armistice, North Korea now resides in the northern half of the Korean peninsula, separating the Republic of Korea from the Asian con continent like an island. Ever since, South Korea and North Korea have been in constant confrontation with each other. North Korea is officially known as Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which is DPRK. It has a population of about half of the Republic of Korea, with a slightly larger land mass. The current regime was founded in 1948 with Pyongyang as its capital city. Looking into their institutions, we can see that it is a single party system ruled by the Korean Workers' Party with a parliamentary body known as the Supreme People's Assembly. Our estimate suggests that it has a standing army of about 1.2 million and its reserve forces represent about 30% of its population, the world's highest percentage of military personnel per capita. The growth rate is considered to be low given its small and underdeveloped status. Although we were seeing some slight improvement more recently. This is a very famous satellite picture of the Korean Peninsula. As you can see, there is a stark contrast between the lights in the south and the darkness in the north. Since the collapse of the socialist economic bloc in 1990, 
North Korea recorded an annual growth rate of minus 4.1 percent on average from 1990 to 1998. As a result, its total production was reduced to less than half of what it was at the end of the 1980s. Only around 20% of factories are known to have been in operation in the 1990s, while most plants, such as those in rural districts, suspended all operations. North Korea's economic crisis in the 1990s was triggered by China and the Soviet Union's declaration that it could no longer supply oil and other raw materials to the North as a socialist trading partner. North Korea's national economy recorded a positive growth rate of about 2.2% on average from 2000 to 2005, but this turned to negative in 2006 for an average growth rate of minus uh, 0.1% from 19, uh, 2006 to 2010. The North's trade deposit has more than doubled from an average of $490 million in 1990 to 1999 to $1.04 billion in 2002-2010 due to a widening gap between exports and imports. Imports expanded substantially in response to the slight economic recovery while exports lacked due to over-dependence on primary sources. North Korea recorded an average deposit of $1.2 billion from 2005 to 2010. This chart compares growth rates of the South and the North. Considering the size of the stage of economic development, North Korea could have higher growth rates than South Korea. However, North Korea's growth rate has been lower than South Korea during almost all periods. This suggests that unless there is a dramatic change in North Korea's economic development, the gap between the North and the South will could continue to grow. The Korean Peninsula immediately after the Second World War became a Cold War hotspot in East Asia, situated at the crossroad of great power rivalry between the United States and the Soviet Union. The Korean Peninsula was at the forefront of a Cold War front confrontation. The beginning of the Korean War in 1950 marked the starting point of a consolidated inter-Korean rivalry and their respective militarization. Even after the ceasefire, the Republic of Korea had to divert resources from economic development to military expenditures in the midst of the constant threat from the rival, threat, uh, threat from and rivalry with the North. Despite such hardships, the Republic of Korea was able to achieve rapid economic growth and democratization in the end. Today, the Republic of Korea stands as a country that successfully achieved both economic development and political democratization. In the post-Cold War era, the number of challenges and opportunities continue to exist for South Korea. In the wake of the collapse of former communist state, South Korea was hopeful to witness the end of the Cold War era. Expectations were high for a new opportunity on the Korean Peninsula with respect to transition. 
However, the prospect for a post-communist transition in North Korea was short-lived. With the first North Korea nuclear crisis in 1993, earlier gestures for inter-Korean peace and reconciliation could not move forward. And until this day, North Korea has been able to maintain its communist regime while continuing its development of nuclear weapons. What remains is an ongoing challenge for South Korea. The consequence is the maintenance of high division cost and continued effort toward uh, Korean unification. Indeed, there were greater expectations for unification in the early 1990s, but North Korea chose to maintain their own socialist system under the Juche ideology, seeking separate ways towards survival. Despite the severe weakening of its state capacity, North Korea was found to have been developing nuclear weapons in 1993. This caused inter-Korean relations to worsen to become more prone to conflict. This revelation soon turned into a full crisis when North Korea withdrew from the Non-Proliferation Treaty in the same year. The confrontational relationship between the South and North continued as it became inseparable from the nuclear dilemma. This crisis is known as the first North Korean nuclear crisis of 1993. It came to an end by signing a bilateral agreement in Geneva between the United States and North Korea. Signed in 1994, North Korea promised to freeze its nuclear program and ultimately give up all nuclear programs. In return, the United States promised energy assistance to the North as they carry out the uh, dismantlement process. But North Korea continued to develop nuclear weapons even after the agreement was underway. This eventually led to the breakup of the agreement. By 2002, the United States confronted Pyongyang with evidence of highly enriched uranium production, proof of North Korea's continued effort to develop nuclear weapons. This once again triggered another crisis, the second North Korean nuclear crisis, and continued to complicate problems with North Korea. This cartoon satirically depict how North Korea threatens the world with its nuclear weapons program. Until today, North Korea has been continuing its development of weapons of mass destruction, including three nuclear tests and five long-range ballistic missile tests. The regime also continues to threaten South Korea and the international community with the possibility of the fourth nuclear test. What is important to note of this kind of behavior by North Korea is that it is in clear violation of UN Security Council resolutions. So I'd like to show you two video. Okay. The six-party talks process, which started in 2003, has been the primary multilateral diplomatic framework in order to resolve North Korea's nuclear problem. 
During the fourth round of talks in September 19, 2005, South Korea, US, China, Japan, Russia, and North Korea agreed to announce a joint statement that continues to be recognized, recognized as the benchmark toward achieving denuclearization of North Korea, which continued to develop until 2007. However, the six-party talks reached a deadlock after its last latest round in December 2008, and there has been no further round of talks so far. In more recent years, inter-Korean relations continue to struggle as a consequence of North Korea's threats and provocations. This includes the December 2012 rocket launch, the third nuclear test in February 2013, and the reactivation of Yongbyon nuclear facility in April 2013. North Korea even threatened South Korea and the US with war in March 2013. Subsequently, the Kaesong industry complex was shut down from April to August 2013 when North Korea decided to block access of South Korean workers to the complex. In 2014, North Korea was met by international criticism against its poor human rights record, which was triggered by the release of the UN Commission of Inquiry report on North Korea in February 2014, and the subsequent adoption of a North Korean human rights resolution in December 2014. A UN office opened in Seoul on 23rd of June this year to monitor and document any human rights violations in North Korea. So what do these developments suggest? First, North Korea ended up gaining almost nothing in terms of diplomacy. The UN Security Council adopted additional resolutions, UN HCL 2087 and 2089, in response to North Korea's missile and nuclear test. The ROK-US alliance was uh, strengthened in order to effectively deter North Korea. For Pyongyang, this meant further diplomatic and economic isolation. So I'd like to show a very short uh, video again to explain this recent happening. Uh, despite how it has been perceived domestically, North Korea's nuclear program is problematic for uh, virtually all of North Korea's neighbors. Many, con con many countries, including the US, China, Russia, and Japan, have firmly opposed North Korea's WMD programs on the record, which is visible in the development of UN Security Council resolutions. From the international community's perspective, North Korea's nuclear weapons development raised the concerns of a regional arms race, the erosion of the nuclear non-proliferation regime, proliferation threats, and nuclear security and safety. These present a clear and present danger to the international community. <coughs> Let us think about what it means for North Korea to continue its WMD programs. In general, people estimate North Korea has been spending nearly three billion US dollars to continue developing its nuclear and missile programs. That amounts to an opportunity cost of nearly 10 million tons of corn 
that could feed the entire population for at least three years, not to mention the cost of being isolated from the international community. Despite the visible opportunity cost, North Korea continues to develop its WMD programs by promoting the Seoul Good Pyongyang strategy of simultaneous development of nuclear weapons and the economy. Pyongyang also seeks to resume talks without any preconditions, while also arguing that the U.S. needs to stop its hostile policy against North Korea. The Trump offensive is another tactic by North Korea, whereby it seeks to escape from diplomatic and economic isolation and ultimately gain recognition as a normal state, but with nuclear weapons. This suggests that there is very little seriousness or sincerity in North Korea's efforts toward denuclearization. Because of the North Korea's nuclear problem, South Korea needs to consider its strategy towards inter-Korean relations hand-in-hand -hand with international cooperation. This amounts to the current government's effort to strengthen the ROK-US alliance and the ROK-China strategic partnership. At the same time, South Korea continues to explore creative and various ways to resume meaningful dialogue with North Korea, as well as various forms of dialogue within the six-party framework. Despite the diversity of opinions, there is a united front against North Korea's stolen programs among the international community. That front seeks to achieve the nuclearization of North Korea, faithful implementation of UNSC sanctions, and create conditions for meaningful talks. For South Korea, this also means that we are pursuing the same goal towards North Korea's abandonment of its nuclear program, which is in line with the international community's demand for North Korea's denuclearization. From a policy perspective, this means that we need to seek meaningful dialogue with North Korea while being able to maintain effective pressure. And this stage, I want to show the succession of North Korea. In this video, the specialist said that Jang Sung-tae will be main mentor of Kim Jong-un, but last year he killed him. Actually, he was his uncle, and he shot him by machine gun, so nobody couldn't find his body. So we think North Korea is unstable regarding this kind of effect. If Chang Song take leave until now, maybe it could give some very reasonable advice, something like that. And now Kim Jong Un killed the old generation, most of them, and the military officials sometimes first following day the following day first like this. So many changes is going on, so. These people outside North Korea think North Korea is really unstable state. And uh, now I want to show these uh, refugees. Uh, as you can see, this table, North Korean refugee ent entry into South Korea has increased year after year. 
and now there are almost 28,000 refugees settled in South Korea. While the rate of refugee inflow has slowed for the last four years or so, the total number of North Korean refugees into South Korea continues to grow. As you see in the graph, the number of refugees sharply you know, reduced from this end of 2011, when this Kim Jong-un regime succeeded from previous because they control the border so tightly. But we still have a dream. A unified Korea will be able to overcome the geopolitical separation between continental and maritime powers and open up new opportunities to greater interconnectivity from Europe to Japan. Some of, uh, some of you could see this kind of picture. The up left hand is the, some kind of a, the agreement between North Korea uh, Kim Jong-un and South Korean President Noh Moon-hyun. We had uh, so many times this kind of agreement done, but uh, no agreement ha has been observed until now. So uh, I would like to briefly explain about the Korean unification uh, policy. The South Korea's unification formula is called the Korean National Community Unification Formula. It is buttressed by the idea that unification ought to take place in line with human democracy. South Korea seeks a three-stage unification process starting from reconciliation and cooperation to a South-North Korean Union to a unified Korean nation. It is also based on the principles of in independence, peace, and democracy. Independence refers to the understanding that the process will require self-determination by discussions between the North Korea and the South Korea. Peace refers to the need for conversation and negotiation without the use of force. Finally, democracy refers to the notion that the unification process should be in line with democratic principles. Under such circumstances, the South Korean government tries to renew the passion for unification by emphasizing tremendous benefits unification can bring. Also, it strives to develop a new theory for comprehensive cost-benefit analysis for unification. In the case of German unification, the Germans paid an, an expensive cost for the inter integration. However, there is also the self-reflective argument that the unification cost should not be the determining factor. Unification will cost us, however, it would also produce advantages and benefits. Therefore, the costs and benefit analysis of the unification should be reconsidered in a much more comprehensive and inclusive manner. 
South Korean government's concept of unification, Bonanza, proposes a new vision that brings our attention to the advantages and benefits of Korean unification. It hinges upon the idea that unification is part of South Korea's goal to become a, an advanced country with a reinvigorated economy. A unified Korea will offer greater opportunities for economic growth, while at the same time, political and diplomatic benefits will contribute to regional and global peace and stability. Studies show that a unified Korea will be the 26th most populous country with more than 73.5 million people. It will also become the country with the eighth largest GDP with more than 6 trillion US dollars. The productive population will also reach 58%, which is a 4% increase from today's figure. Furthermore, the per capita GDP would reach 86,000 US dollars, while a new influx of raw materials from North Korea would sub substitute 50% of energy imports. The estimated import substitution effect is estimated to be about $153.9 million. Also, with unification, there will be lower demands for defense expenditures, which would likely decrease toward 1.4% of GDP in a gradual manner. This report shows the benefit of unification by Goldman Sachs report. Then how, how would Korean unification contribute to the East Asia regional order? A unified Korea would help promote the transformation of great, great power politics and restore stability in the Northeast Asian region. The benefit of unification would also expand to neighboring states, solving the North Korean nuclear crisis and establishing a more stable regional security architecture are all immense benefits to the region as a whole. With a stable, unified Korean peninsula, East Asia will have a greater chance to build effective multilateral security cooperation that will contribute to regional peace and stability. What, uh, given uh, these possibilities, uh, what diplomatic efforts should South Korea make toward unification? In order to achieve unification, South Korea recognizes the need to gain support and cooperation from the international community. It is our goal to build trust with North Korea in order to prepare for unification. It is known as trust politic, which supports the trust building process on the Korean Peninsula. One of the goals of this approach is to increase inter-Korean exchanges and encourage North Korea to become a more normal state. South Korea will also continue to promote development in North Korea by providing economic assistance. This would eventually lead to lower cost of unification as North Korea becomes more prosperous. I would like to emphasize that ultimate goal of such diplomatic efforts is to achieve Korean unification. With greater economic capacity, South Korea also seeks to make greater contributions in terms of ODA, Official Development Assistance, uh, last but not least, convening and facilitating cooperation in many issue areas related to global governance and public good, such as 
finance, cybersecurity, and the environment are also an important focus of the Republic of Korea's global diplomacy. MIGTA is one of the ways to gain support and cooperation from the international uh, community. So I briefly explained the uh, Korean unification policy. And um, I have to return. Thank you so much for coming.